Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We thank you so much for tuning into the show today. We really appreciate it on this beautiful Lord's Day morning. As was mentioned, my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, as well as our usual co-host, Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike. Well, I think the way he's been feeling, that's a, that's a good start, right? So, yeah, that's yeah, a good start. It, it, Gary's not been feeling too well lately, but we're glad he can be here with us today. And uh, we hope to be with you now for the next hour. Uh, we Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. So if you get a piece of paper and a pencil ready, I'll give you the numbers and how to reach us here in just a moment. We'd like to have you participate in the show and call in or text in any comments or questions you might have. You don't have to talk about the subject that we have in mind. You can talk about anything that's on your mind, but uh, we certainly appreciate your participation. You can reach We Are Just Christians here in Port St. Lucie at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number here in Port St. Lucie, and we'll be glad to talk with you. We promise you a couple things. Number one, we're not going to argue with you or try to embarrass you in any way. And secondly, uh, even if we, whether we agree or disagree, and secondly, uh, we're going to give you the last word on whatever subject we talk about. So you can feel free to call in and express yourself this morning. And like I say, it doesn't have to be about something that we're going to talk about. You can change the subject anytime. We're going to do a couple things. We're going to try to give you a scriptural or Bible answer, some scriptures to look up on your own after, we, after the call is over that you can think about or respond to. And we're going to give you a chance to talk with us about whatever is on your mind. And it can be something that you've studied in the Bible that you've got a question about. It can be something you heard growing up about religion that you don't agree with or something, some experience you had with someone unpleasant. It can be something that you're dealing with in your personal life that you'd like to talk about in some way, uh, whether to get advice for or ask us uh, about. Uh, anything like that is fair game. Something you've heard on the news that troubles you, you wonder what you should think about that. All this stuff is fair game for We Are Just Christians. And the reason that we do that is so that you can see the connection between what's written in the scriptures and how things are going today, what life is about today. And if we can't make that connection, then the scriptures are essentially useless. And, uh, we're, but we don't believe that's tr the truth. We know, we know it's not the truth of our own experience and knowledge. So we want you to see that connection so that you can be today just a Christian well, actually, not follow the traditions of men, not, not follow things that you've just because somebody else has told you about them. Go ahead, right, Gary. Right. And basically, it, it's the reason that what, you know, we, we go back to the Bible, Mike, and I think you feel the same way too because we face a judgment at some point. God is going to ask us to account for all the things that we have done and said in this life. Right. And the standard that he's going to use to judge us by is what Jesus said in John 12 and 48 says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Now, the word there means all of the words that Jesus spoke, basically the standard of the scriptures that he's told us about. Right. And that's what makes it important to us. If we don't have that understanding of the scripture, then how, how are we going to stand before God? And basically we can't. 
Without his right. mercy, we don't stand anyway. But he's conditioned his mercy on our looking to his word for our life. Which is, which is kind of an interesting study in itself, Mike, and one, one that I've been doing lately. But, you know, you know what, what does actually save us? We could talk about that if you want to, but I hadn't planned on doing that this morning if you had another subject. Well, no, we've got, we can talk about whatever is on your mind or whatever the callers have in mind. You know, I didn't give you, I gave you the number and just realized I didn't finish talking about how you can connect with the show here. Uh, you, you can call us at 772-340-1590, or you can uh, text us at 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120, or 772-260-6220 is Gary's text number, 6220, and you can do that during the show or any time during the week, whatever might be on your mind. You know, I, I, I appreciate uh, the people that do listen to this show. And those who do call in, we appreciate that very much because it adds a lot to the show. And I think it does anyway. And uh, it certainly makes it more interesting for Gary and I. We come prepared to talk about different things. And a person like me can talk all day without stopping. So I appreciate the interruption. But, you know, I didn't tell you this, Gary, but I I was in my local hardware store in Jensen Beach over there, Ace Hardware the other day. And there was a couple people at the register, and I was next in line. And and there's a, a clerk that's always there, sweet lady. And um, she says, I told, she wanted my name because it was put in these points. You know, you get points for A's. She goes, are you on the radio? And I said, yeah, that, that's me. She goes, yeah, I listen to your show all the time. And then, well, then this, then this uh, she said, I thought I recognized your voice. Uh, so then it uh, turns into a conversation with the two or three people at the register as to different things. One fellow made a comment. You know, Jesus never uh, was never a Christian. Uh, well, I said, now that's a, I said, that's a kind of statement that's perhaps misleading, true and false, maybe at the same time. Jesus never called himself a Christian. I said, he was the Christ, and from him all other Christians are named. He named the whole family in heaven and earth after the Christ. And so forth, but I said uh, he he was the Christ, and so therefore those who follow him as the Christ are called Christians, and God called them that in the Bible. He goes, oh, really? And, so, and being the head of the church, you would think that basically right. Th- those are the kind of things, though, that people hear and latch onto. What it means to some people is, well, uh, Christianity wasn't is really an accident. It really didn't. God didn't really intend this, and. And uh, Jesus didn't intend to, as they say, establish some new religion. Well, Jesus was simply showing in his life what the real purpose of Judaism was. It wasn't that he was trying to establish a new religion. He was simply fulfilling the promise God made to Abraham 2,500 years before that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's what Jesus was doing. Judaism was brought in next to or beside the promise to Abraham to help fulfill that promise, according to Paul in Genesis and Galatians chapter 3, it was brought in an effort to keep the Jews separated so that God could bring the Christ through them. But the real plan was what Christ did, come to die for all the nations and all the people. That was the plan. So, no, he didn't come to establish a new religion. Only That's, that's true in the sense that, no, he, this was God's plan from the beginning. Judaism was simply a... 
a sub part of that, a, a track on the side to help bring that purpose about. You see, was in some ways the prerequisite course. For it, it had to happen that way so that he could make what he really wanted to do happen. It was, a, and that's what the Jews never understood. They've always thought that that Judaism. Uh, as practiced under the law of Moses was the plan, but it wasn't the plan. It was something to lead us to the plan or the Christ. So in one sense, yes, he didn't establish a new religion, but not in the way that people think he, not what they really mean by that. What they mean is Christianity was kind of an accident. It was invented by a bunch of people centuries later, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think the scriptures teach that, nor is that true historically. Or the premillennial view in which... The church he, is really he nothing, right? He couldn't do what he wanted to do, so he substituted the church. The church instead. Yes, that, that, this is... Uh, those are ridiculous things when you start reading the scriptures. Well, they don't. They certainly don't, uh, they certainly don't uh, follow what the, the pattern of the, what the scriptures say. Now, so therefore, it was just... Uh, my point was, it's, it, there are people that listen to the show who never call in, and uh, we, we, we really appreciate that. And uh, I know that you... Aren't, don't come to church here where I preach and where Gary is an elder and so forth, but uh, that's okay. We'd like to encourage you to visit us. That's the idea. And because we, th- truthfully, honestly, we think a, a lot of misinformation and a lot of untruth is being taught in churches all over the place in this country or around this town by people who have not actually tried to consider what the whole Bible says or have taken part of it or they've they've simply settled on a creed book or traditions of what they've been taught by their parents. And it doesn't surprise me then that so many people are unhappy or disaffected by what is commonly called Christianity or church today, Gary, because churches are either a country club or a social club or something like that, rather than a a place of spiritual education and enrichment as a family, as God intended. And so it doesn't surprise me that people are unhappy. And so many of the traditions of men can be, we can see right through them. And uh, we're trying to get past that uh, back to the New Testament time and just go try to point you back to reading what it says there in the Bible as much as you can. So we encourage daily Bible reading. Some of the things we talk about from time to time are can we understand the Bible alike? And can we even understand it at all today? Or are we intended to understand it? Or should we have to go to the priest to find out what it says and just listen to what the Pope says or what some other uh, preacher, reverend so-and-so, who's inspired by God, he says, just says, says about it, who has the Holy Spirit. Are we supposed to go listen to them, what they say, well, and just it, believe it? See, amazing. none of those things really are what the Scriptures yeah, teach. it's amazing to me, uh, Mike. Uh, I've bought... I haven't bought very many new cars in my life, but I've known people that studied for weeks and months. But boy, when you buy one, you really buy one, don't uh, you? Yeah, well, when I buy one, I <laughs> keep it for a while. But I've known people that study uh, what's available for weeks. They'll spend months, uh, you know, tens of hours, tens, hundreds of hours looking into, well, what's available? What should I do? What, Trying to make that decision. And yet the decision about how we live our life and how we and what it will affect us in eternity. So little time is spent in the study of God's word. Yeah, and that's what causes a lot of what you just mentioned. It causes a lot of the error that's taught in all of these things. Uh, you and I teach Bible classes from time to time, and I've been involved in teaching those classes for oh, pretty close to getting awfully close to forty years now. Right. I didn't believe it's that long, but. And in all those 40 years, I continue to learn. 
everything every time I go through a class generally at least one or two things pop out to me that I have not studied before and now I know more about what God has to say about our lives right and so but my, my purpose here is to encourage all of you out there who are listening spend more time paying attention to the things that will affect you in this life and more importantly in the life to come which is an eternity when we consider the maybe what 70 80 90 years that we spend here compared to eternity not that long is it not that long and i guess uh, you know I've always so what's what's what you're, what's really important then mike which one is really important the real importance lies with eternity not what's here right that's right so w- that's what we're pointing at with people well you know gary um by the way that uh, head of the church is Ephesians 5, verses 23 through 26, if those out there want to read it. Right. We just had a text, Christianity equals Judaism 2.0. Well, I understand what that means. I, I just think Judaism is is uh, Christianity point one or point five, not one point something. It's, yeah. it's not all that there is. The whole plan was revealed in Jesus Christ and his apostles. What came before in the Old Testament is just the, just the lead-up to it or the prerequisites to it. Well, and Christianity is, is based on the teachings of the Old Testament, but not in the way people think. For example, um, in, in Roman Catholicism, there is a priesthood. But in the New Testament, I don't believe that's New Testament Christianity for this reason. There was a priesthood under Aaron in the Old Testament, but God says that isn't what's going on now, that all believers are priests, according to the scriptures. All of us are priests. We've all been set aside to worship God and, and be next to God, not, not just a few people. So Roman Catholicism just kind of borrowed a pattern from the Old Testament with, with to me, improper and incomplete understanding of what it was. But the priesthood of all believers is what the scriptures teach in the New Testament. So what we have in the Old Testament, in, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, 9 and 10, various verses there, is that the Old Testament was simply a schematic of the real things in the heavens that have now been revealed. It's just a sketch, a shadow, it's called, of yeah, the that, things that were to come. So you can see is- some things in the shadow, but you can't see the real thing. Yeah, think of it. Think of it in terms of a statue stand, standing out in the sun. How much can you tell about that statue by looking at the shadow, as opposed to looking at the real thing? Right. There, there's there's some there's, things you can tell, but you certainly can't. You, you certainly don't get all get the all infor- of there is. information. And that's the idea. The words are used: sketch or shadow or image, meaning uh, something that's not really there. So there is um, there's this misunderstanding of the purpose of the law, and that is really goes through so much of what uh, what people today call Christianity. And uh, I think Peter talks about the church in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, right. his own special people. So, may- so Christians are God's holy nation, right. not the nation of Israel over there in Palestine right. or a group of people ethnically called the Jews. Christians are the holy nation now. They are all priests, according they are, to the they New are Testament. They are a royal priesthood, right? He says. And and uh, 
one of the fellows standing in line there, Gary, ironically enough, says to me, so uh, what, what should I call you? Are you Reverend Mike? Something like that. And I said, no. I said, how about just Mike? And I reached out my hand, shook his hand. I said, how about just Mike? I said, there, I, I don't believe the scriptures in the New Testament teach that we should be wearing titles. Another fellow says, well, there's titles. There's, there's rabbi uh, and so forth. I said, yes, but only one is our teacher. Okay, God, Jesus accepted the title, but I can't. And he, Jesus told me, don't call anybody on the earth father or rabbi as such, as a title. And he goes, really? I said, yes. Yeah. So I quoted in the scripture there in Matthew 23. So it was like, oh, okay. So yeah, they were, they're expecting now if they find out that I'm, on, I'm, a, I'm a minister that I want to wear, that they have to be sure to call me by some special title or I'm going to be offended by that or somehow that you've lifted yourself up. Uh, once again, traditions, I'm not, I'm not tr- trying to criticize this fellow standing in line. The point is, They've been taught that. Uh, they've learned these things from people who have not interpreted the Bible correctly or have not even read it themselves. And so there's so many false assumptions about what Christianity is or what the Bible says. That's why, well, although we don't claim to have all the answers, that's why we keep pointing you back to the answer. And, be, and you have to be willing to follow it as clearly as you can, as plainly as you can. John 12, are, right. are people willing to do that? No. What, what You read this every week, so what? read it again, because we have new listeners all the time, Gary. John twelve forty eight. He says, uh, basically, he who rejects me, Jesus is speaking, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So that final judgment, God says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Whether you believe here on this earth, there's going to come a time when you're going to believe. Yes, at some point in time, there's going to there's going to come a time when you'll be forced to understand the true reality of things. And, uh, of course, up until that time, uh, there is... Up until that time, you're free to do or believe whatever you wish. God does not force you to do these things. You have the free will. You can make the choice. Uh, and... and that's just, sorry, I can't get around that. That's what Scripture tells me. Well, we could discuss that alone for the whole hour, Mike, if we wanted to, looking at the passages there. But basically, you have the free will to reject or receive Jesus and his words. Right, right. Well, um, I thought that was an interesting experience. I was glad to know that, that people listen. And hope perhaps we can meet some of the people who listen to the show from time to time. That'd be great. And we do we do really appreciate your uh, listening to the show and calling in or leaving us questions. You can do that either by calling in now, 772-340-1590, or leave us a text message. And we'd be glad to get in touch with you about those things. Now, you know, uh, as far as different subjects, Gary, something popped up this week that I think kind of illustrates perhaps this problem in a different way of people who have read the Bible in one way but haven't really got the whole picture. And let me see if I can go. Sometimes it takes a while to follow where I'm going with these things. I realize that. But well, I'm just going to make one comment. Oh, all right. Basically, 
you can't have a cursory or scanned reading of the Bible and understand it. It is my view. It takes a little bit more work than like reading a novel. There is a certain level of knowledge that you have to have about the scripture to ba basically begin to understand. Uh, it just that's just that's been my experience for years. Mm -hmm. That uh, you you can't take just one verse or two verses and come up with what you think God says and it be what the Bible really says. No, I, I don't know how to explain that, but it takes a certain basic level of understanding and knowledge. Right. So people have to be willing to be to be taught, but it's not some kind of great mystery that that the average person can't get that it takes some kind of specialized knowledge to achieve. Uh, that's the point that I, uh, that I would make with people. They think that you have to have some specialized knowledge and therefore that's why they only depend upon people to tell them what it means to have a tur backwards turned collar or some certain degree. And they're completely misled by those things uh, because those kind of people don't necessarily know any more about it in reality what it actually means to do than anybody else God doesn't give his not he didn't give the scriptures to a certain class of people with a certain intellect or a certain educational background it does take effort and persistence over time to understand all that's there but you can understand how to become a Christian without having a college education or knowing Greek or anything like that and you can begin to understand now what you're saying I think is once you get a couple of building blocks in place, now then you can build upon those. And the more yes. blocks you put in place over time, the greater understanding that you are going to have, the greater and, and depth it it's going it to have. It takes a certain number of building blocks to really begin to understand. You talked about the characteristics that it takes to, for us to, for God to teach us. Psalm 25, and I think we talked about this last week, Psalm 25, 8 through 10, he says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Right. Humility, and we talked about humility as one of the right. characteristics that's needed to be able to learn the things that God has to teach us. So there are some characteristics that we need to have to begin with. And toward God, humility is one of them that we start with. That's exactly right. Well, let me... Um Give the numbers again, Gary, and then I want to jump into something here um, about this. Uh, well, we're getting a couple of texts here in from uh, John about a couple of these matters. Let's see if I can pull these up here. And um, he says, understanding the Bible is like a 3,000-piece puzzle without the picture on the box to go by, but after you start putting pieces in place, a picture starts emerging. Well, there's some. that's, a, that's not an unfair analogy of right. things. Um, but the question is, do you have to have all 3,000 before you can make any progress at all? And does it take a Ph.D. or a Master of Divinity degree to understand it? Or uh, No, it doesn't. Or does it take some kind of special revelation to get it? No, it doesn't. Uh, and that's, that's the important thing to understand. Paul says in Ephesians 3 that when you read, you can understand what he wrote. Okay, And, that, and uh, we can understand this quote-unquote quote, mystery when we read what he wrote. It, and the, the thing that so many religious teachers depend upon, Gary, which kind of really ir irks me, if not to the point of anger sometimes, is they are depending upon uh, you 
believing that they have some kind of special secret or knowledge that you can't get to heaven without them personally or their church or whatever the case may be. And rather than teach people, they want to draw away disciples after themselves, as the scriptures say. And this is true not only in the higher, more sophisticated kind of denominations and churches, but it's also true in the, the, the low uh, church kind of churches all over town that poor people are going to, well, it's, where it's, they're dependent upon this reverend pastor, right reverend so-and-so, who has all this knowledge, they say, and special secrets to get them to heaven. This is not what the Bible teaches, and it's what we're teaching against here on this program. I want to bring up. Let me give you the numbers well, again. I'll go ahead. You said I thought is, you were going to say something, and then you well, didn't I, say. Well, I was, and, and I was, I was trying to, to look exactly what it was. You often quote a passage. It's in Ephesians, Ephesians three. Uh, Paul talks about writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians three and about verse four. He says, "By which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ." Anybody that can read, I believe, has the ability to read the Bible and understand it. It's right. not. It's not. It's not some. Secret. Or even even be read too. Or even be read. You know, I'm too. who can understand words, in other words, right. and language. Can now understand he, this. He says something similar to that in Second uh, Corinthians, I believe it's one. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Basically, right. he's saying the same thing. It's not some kind of special thing. Yeah. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. Basically, he's saying I've, I've written to you th- these things you can read. So twice in the Scripture, Paul says. If you can understand the words, if you can get the words, somebody can read it to you or you can read it, you can understand what God has for you to do. Right. I'm not sure that maybe I don't express, I don't, when I use this illustration, uh, I'm not sure by the reaction people give it. Since it's very brilliant and they don't seem to perceive it as brilliant, Gary, I wonder, but I've got my tongue in my cheek. But, you know, the, for, for a long time, and I have these books in my library, old books, people thought Scholars thought that the New Testament was written in some kind of special Holy Spirit Greek, they called it, or a special kind of Greek, because the Greek of the New Testament didn't really match up grammatically and some of the vocabulary with classical Greek that they were familiar with, okay? And since it didn't match up, there was this idea that it was written in Holy Spirit Greek, which was a special language, Ironically, then in the, in the 1800s and on into the 20th, 20th century, we find that they found just the opposite is true, that the New Testament was written in what was called koine or common Greek. Every Rather than being language. a higher language, it was a lower language than, or, the, than classical Greek. language that everybody used. Right. So when he says, I write these things so you can read them, he really meant he was writing them in the language of the common people with their expressions and idioms and vocabulary and grammar so you could understand it. So the opposite of what we're being told for a long time is actually true about the Bible. And that ought to tell you something. God intends for ordinary people to be able to take his word and with effort and with diligence and sincerity understand what is written over a period of time. And, and that's, why, that's what this show is about. That's what we're trying to do over time to kind of 
poke you along in that general direction and not be satisfied with stuff that you're hearing sometimes from the pulpits where you go to church or even on the radio about this, these high and holy reverends are going to impart some kind of knowledge to you and have, take some special power of the Holy Spirit to read it. That's not what Paul says in Ephesians, you see. Uh, if, if you so, want to write these down, it's Second Corinthians chapter 1 and right around verse 13, and it's Ephesians 3 right around verse 4. Right. I would say write those down yeah. and look at them. Three through five. Yeah, yeah, yes. right. Write those down. Take a look at what they say. And there's others that would indicate the same thing. But fundamentally, even in a big broad way, uh, the point I'm talking about is that it's written in the language that can be understood. And this language is now known. We have so much more we've recovered archaeologically, linguistically, that this Koine Greek is known and it can be studied on its own. And the comparisons can be made between classical Greek and Koine Greek. I use the illustration when my grandmother came over here as a girl from uh, what was then Austro-Hungary speaking German from a German village over there. Uh, she learned English as she grew up. My father learned English when he went to school. Well, when he told me, I asked him about this, and we had a relative come over from communist Yugoslavia at some point because of some dispute. I think I might have told the story before, but he came to Chicago where he had some relatives we had some and they couldn't find any up there that could could understand him uh, well enough to go to court with or to talk to. So they sent to Cincinnati, called my grandmother up there, and she acted as a translator between English and this German. How you think you you don't think you could find a German translator in Chicago for crying out loud? You know, the home of bratwurst. You, you sure you could, but. As my father says, they couldn't find a translator for the hillbilly German that my, that my grandmother and her village spoke. They were speaking German, but he said, it's not the German you learn in school. It's similar. It's hillbilly German. That's what he called it. And I think that's a comparison. It's common, everyday people German, uh, and that's the same way with the Greek, you see, in this case. So, so it's understandable, but there's another scripture I'd like for people to look at. It's Hebrews 11. And beginning at verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So another characteristic besides humility is diligence in seeking him. It's, it, you can understand it, but you have to diligently go after it, which means basically, Mike, I think you have to spend some time with it. Right. Uh the other thing that's interesting, one the, uh, John Texture brings up, that that um, there are like 5,800 manuscripts or fragments of manuscripts of the New Testament to go on, everything from fragments to complete books of the whole New Testament in all different kinds of languages that all essentially say the same thing. No other document of ancient history or even modern history is, is considered Comes even rare. Close e- even is even in the ballpark of that much documentation or, or attestation, and so there's no doubt about what we have today that it represents what the apostles and Jesus wrote, and even the attestation of the old the Old Testament with the Dead Sea Scrolls and other manuscripts now discovered is is extremely significant compared to ancient other ancient manuscripts. So the idea that somehow it's all gotten changed and made up uh, simply can't be verified in any kind of academic or scientific way. So the thing that's left for us to do is to take 
perhaps even a variety of good tr literal translations, look at them, you can understand what's being written there. The problem isn't, and it, you know, sometimes that's not the problem, Gary, understanding the words. The problem is, do we want to do what the words say? Yes. And, and that brings up another entire problem of, of do we really want to do what it says to do? And therein is the whole crux of the matter for most people. I was going to talk about this, um, something that popped up on the news. I'm going to read you a couple quotes here before I tell you the headline, see what you think. Because okay. we've predicted this in a way. And it kind of, and it, it's based on a couple of errors that I'll bring up if we can get to it this morning that I want you to think about with me. Gar Gary's not heard this before, so he's going to be have to think through it like the rest of you. So here's a couple quotations. I just came out openly to my friends. Love is love, and we deserve equal protection under the law. We're not harming anybody. The world would be a better place if everybody was more open. I'm proud of who I am, but I've been rejected by society. It's unhealthy to force people into a choice that might not fit them, and especially if you have love at the core of your relationships, because love is love. Now, what issue do you think is being discussed in those quotes? Well, I would probably... Guess. You know I'm trying to trick you, but just yeah, guess know, what first comes to, to mind. Basically, basically, evaluating our society, I would say that's probably the homosexual idea. Yes, gay marriage, right, or, that kind right. of thing. Actually, those quotes are, have all been mo more, since the last couple of years, have all been made about polygamy or polyamory. That people are now beginning to come out to their friends as being in a poly, well, polyamorous polygamy. Poly means many, and gamos means wives, so polygamy is having many wives. Polyamory is many loves. Amory, uh, amore, is, so you have many loves, and so you have maybe two men and one woman or you know three or four people all living in one group together and, and calling it a marriage. So, so I got it half right. It was you about did, the sexual, uh, yes. It has a sexual aspect to it. So this is these quotes are proponents bent on uh, normalizing poly relationships. The love is love strategy was so successful for the gay marriage lobby. Why should polygamists reinvent the wheel? Okay, and so this is a, there's a bill now in the Utah Senate committee that passed it. Uh, they passed a bill. A, a Utah Senate committee passed a bill that would allow decriminalizing polygamy. The sponsor of this bill uh, uh, reasoned that people in polygamous unions are tired of being treated like second-class citizens and feel like Utah has legalized prejudice against them. Well, there was one of the, one of the uh, assumptions in that. Uh, basically, you have a set of assumptions that go along with that that I think I would argue with. Uh, he's, I think you said in one place, we don't harm anybody, or it doesn't harm anybody. Is that correct? Well, that's one of the quotes. All of those things I read there are links to other articles, which, of course, we, we don't have time to go in into. You, you would have to deal yeah. in a little bit more in the determination of what justifies that statement. <laughs> yeah, harm. Yeah. There's a lot, harm? lots of different kinds of harm. harm. Yeah, right. um, I had a... Uh, child molester pedophile tell me a fellow that I knew tell me he had never heard any children before well now and I confronted him about that I said I know you had never physically hurt them you know 
damage them, but I said there's certainly a lot of harm that you did that you you can't even conceive of. But anyway, um, so this recent legislation then attempts to normalize plural reunions. Even HTV TV, uh, HGTV is doing their part to mainstream polygamy by showcasing its first thruple instead of a couple of thruple on House Hunters. And so the same arguments, and we predicted this, Gary, that were made to legalize homosexual marriage are now being made to legalize polygamy. And I don't see how it can be stopped. I have no idea philosophically, legally, or since the Supreme Court define marriage as basically whatever makes you happy. And that's what our Supreme Court justice who wrote the opinion said about it. It's, it was more a reaction against people who they were angry with for condemning homosexuals because they couldn't be happy. Once you go there, and this is why some people objected. It wasn't just because they, they don't hate gay people. They objected to the legal precedent that whoever makes somebody happy has constitutional justification. And uh, in this case, well, there's, no, there's nothing that can stop the legalization over time of polygamy or polyamory in, in any justifiable way because of this problem. And only the belief that marriage is intended not only by God but by nature itself to be between one man and one woman, now then, and and for society in a secular way to realize that when society promotes a nu- the nuclear family, and by that I mean a man, one man married to one woman who take care of their parents and children, you know, extend beyond that, that there's a, a vested interest in society to, to promote those relationships. And societies who do not promote those relationships will suffer ha- sociological harm from doing well, so. That, that's what I get back to. Is we need to define what what is harm, what is hurting someone, basically, as we get through these things. There's also another aspect of this. Very close to this, Mike, we're getting into the point where government takes the point that uh, basically whatever is the greater good is what it should do. That's a very dangerous approach right. to the things that we do, and that's, that's probably a corollary to what we're talking about here. Uh, whatever, whatever makes you happy and whatever is the greater good can justify many things that are very hard. Well, yeah, there's just so many harms that come from this. And the idea that's being promoted now is three is better than two or three is better than one, uh, that kind of deal, that three parents are better than having one parent. So it's better to have a, uh, a dad and two moms and have just a single mom or whatever the case may be. Well, yeah, you can always make those comparisons, but I don't know if that's true. I don't think sociologically that that's true or not. Um, because of this problem, children living with their mother and her boyfriend are about 11 times more likely to be sexually, physically, or emotionally abused than children living with their married biological parents. Likewise, children living with their mother and her boyfriend are six times more likely to be physically, emotionally, educationally neglected than children living with their married biological parents. The science tells that children are not only more likely to thrive, but also more likely to simply survive when they are raised by an intact home headed by their married parents. Even stepmothers don't nurture their another woman's offspring as well as they do their own children, according to science. Children who 
Princeton, uh, three Princeton University economists found that children who live with a stepmother were provided less healthy care, had less access to education, and fewer dollars were spent on their food when compared to children raised by their biological mother. Th- those are hard statistics to swallow, aren't they? When you think of the number of kids raised by stepmothers and stepfathers, but the truth is that's the facts of the matter. Now, this raises all kind of issues, Gary, aside from the obvious here. Where I really want to go with this is this thought that I think we, we, even on this show, we try to be careful about this, but maybe we're not as careful as we should. When we say, well, we should talk about Bible marriage. And so the retort is given by proponents of gay marriage and even now especially polygamy. Well, what is a Bible marriage? Didn't Jacob have four wives? David had, David had several wives. Solomon had 900 wives. So tell me just what is a Bible marriage? Well, you've got to look at basically how it started. How many wives did Adam have? Right. He had one. Lamech came along and had two. And then there became a whole bunch. And the real issue, though, I think, Gary, is not whether it's Bible marriage, but whether it's New Testament marriage. Okay. Yes. Okay, that's the issue, especially for Christians, is it, Jesus himself said a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his uh, children. He quoted Genesis in that and basically said that a man has no right to another wife unless the first wife has committed adultery against him in Matthew 19. So according to Jesus, marriage is not about having several wives, but it's about one man having one. Because he said, from the Moses suffered you to put away your wives... Matthew 19. He allowed you to do it because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it has not been so, Jesus said. So Jesus took them back to the beginning and said, that's the pattern. That's what you were getting at. Right. That's the pattern. I wasn't contradicting you. I was pointing out that it's, we have to go on what Jesus says. That's the pattern for the home. And that, that would then, I would certainly, I would certainly, uh, then say that that obviously refutes the idea of having a gay marriage based on what the Bible says in the beginning no as he created Adam. That. And it certainly negates the idea of a man having more than one wife or a wife having more than one husband. Because when God made Adam and Eve, it says he made them two. Okay? And he took the two and made them one. Now, he didn't say he made three. You know, in the... Could God not have made Adam with two wives from the beginning or three wives? He could have easily done that. He's the creator, but he did not do it. So not only do the words of Scripture contradict polygamy or, and homosexuality, uh, but the actual actions of God himself, his actions contradict that idea. And when you know enough about the Bible, you realize God's actions speak as loudly as his words because they are always consistent with his words. Our actions aren't consistent with our words, but God's always are. Exactly. And so when it says uh, in the beginning he created light, Paul uses this in, uh, on the first day. The Paul says in, uh, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4 that that wasn't an accident, that on the first day of the week he raised Christ from the dead and thus created light. Okay? So there's a parallel between the physical and the spiritual. And so his active creation, active work in creating the world represented something that he wanted. It represented truth. And so it's important for us, 
guess what I'm driving at, Gary, in discussing this issue with people. Make sure that we keep the two covenants or the covenants straight and we teach what Jesus taught, which is what, the, what God intended from the beginning about marriage. Man had it all muddled up, and like a lot of other things, God tolerated it in the Old Testament time. It says, it says even of the Gentiles that the times of this ignorance, Acts 16, 30, 31, yeah. God overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent or to change, to go back to what they should have been doing. So we live in a time. We don't live in the time of David or Solomon. We live in the time of Jesus Christ, and we have to go, uh, we have to repent and turn back to what God said and not live in a time of ignorance, which is what well, polygamy is. There, there's another idea here. I, you know, I, I can't justify gay marriage in terms of, I can't even justify homosexuality in the scriptures. It's just not there. It, it's, it, that to God is a perversion. And I, I keep going back to a little the rhyme that was given us. You know, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Well, I think I mean it may be, a, it may it may have been used so much that it's taken lightly. But I I think the point's being made there is exactly the point I made that God could have made two men, but they weren't. That's not what He intended by marriage or in the beginning, and so He made a man and a woman, very different from one another, and yet of the same yet the same thing. And the same thing then is true of to two wives that he took. You know, it was a wicked man, Lamech. The Bible notes in the book of Genesis chapter 4, and that in that chapter on a bunch of wickedness that was going yeah. on, how Cain's descendants became more and more wicked. One of the verses of verse 19, that Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And it goes on to talk about what a violent man he was, and he made up a rap song to his two wives about killing a man and hurting a man because they dared to diss him. I'm using modern language. Well, and so even, this even kind of stuff's been going on. So th this was not what God intended. It's right in the middle of what God didn't intend to happen. The context of that passage even even leaves you with the interpretation that Lamech was, was knowledgeably doing something that was in a rebellion to God. He didn't care. He didn't no, care. He, no, was, he, he was doing it as a rebellion to God. Basically, he said that's that's... He, uh, all I'm trying to say is the context there indicates uh, uh, an interpretation or an inference that he was purposely doing this in. Well, he's, he in was exerting self-will. In defiance yes. of God. Exactly. He was exerting his own will over what he wanted and what he wanted to do. And that's, that's why was, God was kind of pointing out that it was being, he was condemning this that it certainly wasn't what God intended at all to be happening. Now, in looking at this then, let's be sure that we, when, we, when Gary and I say biblical, we're probably using this as a metonymy for what the New Testament teaches. Now, we don't believe the Old New Testaments are in contradiction with one another, but we do believe that there is a progression of revelation. And secondly, that the New Testament elucidates what was really going on in the Old Testament to help us understand it. And that God did tolerate things in the Old that he doesn't tolerate in the New. I think that's very clear by what Jesus says in Matthew 19. And it's also very clear uh, by, by what's stated by Paul in, in um, the verse I just quoted in the book of Acts in verse 16. 
And so you have to understand the relationship between the two covenants. And so you need to keep this clear. But that's how a lot of false religious teaching is justified uh, and has been all down through time, from the use of instrumental music uh, all the way down to, um, uh, you know, having a earthly priesthood, using incense in worship, on and on it goes. As soon as people want to justify keeping the Sabbath day today as a special day rather than the first day of the week, they always go back to the Old Testament to get their justification. The Old Testament teaches us about the new. It is a lie to help on that. But it's not the law that we keep. It's not what is enforced today. And so that's a point of, this is a point what we would call uh, hermeneutics, Gary, and use a big word. You talked about big words a little while ago. Hermeneutics is the principle or science of interpretation. Well, Jesus says. A lot of the Bible's misinterpreted because we don't keep the covenant straight. Jesus says the law, basically the law and the prophets are wrapped up in two things, I believe, Mike. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and so on. But he says, and the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. He says the law and the prophets are wrapped up in those two commandments. Right. And those two commandments, if we go back to the Old Testament and look carefully and look at the things that show us what those two things look like, then those are valid things to take from the Old Testament. Right. When they show us what those two commandments look like, then that's fine. If we're going to do something that we like, just because we found somebody in the Old Testament that did it, we're going astray from those things. Right. Well, I just kind of want, thought this article, and I don't want to read the whole article about this, but I, I know it's something that you and I predicted back in 2015 or so or before that uh, about the push to legalize gay marriage. This this isn't going to stop here. Well, actually, I think it and goes it, back before that to... Before 2010, we were looking at some of those things coming. Yes, but in 2015, the Supreme Court did legalize uh, gay marriage in the United States and actually mandated to be accepted in some way. So there's this, um, I was thinking of that date of what the Obergefell ruling or something. Uh, But Christians have been opposed to that long before and ought to have been. And yet there's always been a group of people like the Mormons many of the Mormons who go back to the Old Testament to get some of their teaching, and they go back to a false book, the Book of Mormon, to get their teaching. And so polygamy becomes an issue again. There are, there are places in other parts of the world where, where they do not believe in the Bible, where you have these strong men in these tribes or these groups that they, they start accumulating wives to themselves because they have power and strength, and they exclude other men from having a wife. And all this, I was listening to a podcast the other day, Gary, that that um, this is one of the biggest causes of social unrest in history is when only a few men have access to the females. And it causes tremendous stress in, in, in the social fabric of any society because of that. What God mandates of one man and one woman, and then, then, and then sort of by the nature of things, the number of males and females in a society tend to balance out over time. That's not an accident either. And God is saying that every man gets a wife, every wife gets a husband over time. Now, polygamy had probably a valuable social usage in some societies where men died young or were killed off, and so somebody needed to take care of the extra females who were left left alone, 
and polygamy served that purpose for a while. But I have to go back to the New Testament, which says that the times of this ignorance God overlooked. Well, even, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Even back in those days, what did God continually tell the men that they were responsible for were taking care of the widows and the orphans. It didn't require marriage no, it didn't. To, to, to actually perform that function. I'm uh, just saying socially that's why yeah. it became accepted. Now, now we don't, but we I, don't live in sure that, that society that, anymore. Right. Okay? I'm, I'm not sure that that's, you know, you know, that could be used as a logical example for why it's a good thing because there were other means of doing that. that Perhaps, that yes. But I'm saying that's why it became acceptable, I think, and that's why probably why God allowed it to go on was because he was providing for women in that way. But is that what he wanted? Is that what was right? No. And so now in Christ, times have changed, and so Christians are to uh, promote one man and one woman and not one man and two women and so forth. So uh, this is... um, it's an issue of Bible understanding, and I don't think I don't want Christians who are listening to the show or other religious people to be led astray by the argument. Well, in the Bible, they had two wives, and so it must be okay. It takes a little, like you say, a little deeper understanding of what the time period and what was actually being said, and the and and a lack of ignorance about certain Bible passages to know that that's a false way to approach this subject. Uh, And I do not believe the slogan that love is love. And so that whatever humans decide is love actually is love. That's a foolish and hurtful slogan. Uh, It's uh, simply not good and not true that love is love in the way that they're using it. So that anybody who says they love anything else or any other person are justified morally in pursuing that just because they say, well, I'm in love. Because... That same slogan of love is love is used by pedophiles to justify their behavior, Gary. Well, I think we Because love that. is love, after all, right? I think we've said that's coming, too. Well, of course it is. Based, if you take these statements here that we, I read in the beginning, you can use those to justify just about any kind they, of immorality that you want to. It's a little bit uh, more thoughtful approach that gets beyond this postmodern concept that Whatever my own personal self-actualization, my own personal feelings are all that really matters, you know, in any matter, in any decision. Now, of course, I'll say this, just so you were clear on this, everybody listening. The people that have destroyed marriage in this country and in Western society are not homosexuals or polygamists. The people that have destroyed marriages are, are heterosexual people who won't live with their wife in, in, in love in exclusivity either the ones who marry and divorce at will or because things are difficult the think people who don't marry and just have many wives or boyfriends or girlfriends whatever the case may be those are the people heterosexuals who have undermined marriage and given license and excuse to those who want to go beyond that into homosexual marriage and now into uh, polygamous relationships so I'm not trying to cast the blame for this downward spiral in our culture simply on homosexuals or polygamists. Don't misunderstand. But that just because heterosexuals have done wrong doesn't mean that they're justified either. See, we want to go that direction. Well, you did wrong, so I guess I can too. No, they're all, they're all wrong. 
two wrongs don't make a right. And, and I and I know that I know that that goes against the grain of our postmodern culture too, in that uh, you, you, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be so ex- exclusivistic. I guess my wife is glad because she thinks I'm pretty much an exclusionary person, and I've excluded all other women from our relationship and from my heart, and that. To some people, that makes me a bad person because I'm not open to exploring other forms of love. Well, my wife is glad that that's the case, but other people would criticize me, and used to, Gary, because we're such exclusionary people. Well, yes, the teaching of Christ on certain matters excludes what's wrong, excludes certain kinds of behavior because it's destructive and immoral, and unfortunately... That's a fact that Christians have to live with. Well, I was just happened to read an article uh, just this recent. Some some actress uh, out in Hollywood came out with the idea. I think it was on one of her blogs or whatever that she and her husband are in what they call an open marriage. Yeah, so that's that's that's, that's basically uh, no sexual exclusion. And my point is, an open marriage is not really a marriage at all. It's not what I would define as a marriage. No, well, it's, I don't and, think it's and, what and, God defines uh, right. as a marriage. Right, well, that's kind of what I meant from what I know about the Scriptures. And, and yet, it, is it satisfying to some people? Well, of course it's satisfying to some people, at least temporarily. And perhaps there are benefits that they might achieve in this life. But as far as the overall welfare of a person's spirit and soul in their relationship, no, it isn't. It isn't satisfying, and it's not what people really want. Well, basically, I'm, I'm going to go back to it. People are not looking for the benefits that they receive from keeping God's word and keeping his morality. That's one of them. They're not looking for the benefits in that. I'll tell you something, that Sharon and I have benefited from the fact that our marriage has been that way. What the affection that we feel for each other now after more than 50 years of marriage that was not in any way an open marriage in, in any form. The benefits in that are, are tremendous. Of course they are to, to the soul of a person. But, but in any particular day you can pick out, sometimes there was unhappiness well, or, because, because of choices you had to make or right, you had made a choice. But it didn't necessarily come from that. But basically the benefits from that held us together through many, many times that when we needed each other. Exactly. And you wouldn't have what you have today had you just decided that we're going to open up this marriage to whatever pleases right. me. And so that's the prop, that's the thing you have to, to go on. And the Bible is, is right about this. I just don't want people, number one, to be deceived by this new push for legalizing polyamorous relationships. And secondly, I want you to understand that some of the misinterpretation about this from the Bible standpoint is not distinguishing between what's in the Bible and what's in the New Testament properly as we teach about it, I think this mistake is made by a lot of well-meaning Christian churches, and they're just setting themselves up for difficulty and for problems. Well, Gary, our time is just about gone, and uh, I suppose it's time to uh, wrap up the show, and I want to do so by inviting our listeners to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. We are just Christians. Com. You'll find lots of Bible study resources, recordings of this show and the sermons here at the church that are searchable, other Bible study resources, wearejustchristians.com, directions to the church building, and so forth. Also, we'd like to invite you to attend with us at 
2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd love to have you. You'll be welcome. We're not going to ask you for money or embarrass you. Come and see us this morning at 10, 11, and 6 p.m. tonight. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again next week. Open my God.